Welcome back to Inside Update, brought to you by Inside Investigator, nonprofit journalism to root out corruption in Connecticut. You can find all of our news, our investigations at insideinvestigator.org, where you can also give us your email. And in return, we will send you the news that you need to know every Wednesday and Sunday morning. It's no hassle, straight to your inbox, very easy stuff. And today we're going to share three of the stories that that you could have received in your inbox, but you're going to get a little bit of the behind the scenes here uh, as we're trying to deal with this with this program. First, the DCF Star Home in Harwinton has been closed following Mark Fitch's investigation into the happenings there. Uh, we'll get into some of the details and just lo- look at that timeline. Second, we're going to talk about how Connecticut's truck tax is falling short by more than $25 million. And this isn't quite the end of the EV debate, electric vehicles, but it seems to be for 2023. Spoiler alert, it's going to get kicked down the road and the conversation is likely to continue. Mark, we're going to start with DCF. First, I, I don't think that you wrote this story with the intention of, listen, I'm going to shut this home down, but you do deserve credit uh, and and thanks, I think, from many people because the result of your work has been the closure of a home where people were experiencing some serious corruption, some very serious ills in their life. I just want to thank you personally and just congratulate you on having a story that had such a positive impact on human lives. Yeah, I mean, that was that was never the intent, of course. And it wasn't even the intent of the town officials in Harwinton to see the, the home closed. But conditions in that star home had gotten to the point that they were untenable. I mean, DCF knew this. DCF emptied the home of all but one teenage girl since July of 2023. And just, you know, last week I was able to confirm with them that they're no, they're no longer going to continue the star program there. Um, And so, you know, there were hearings held or there was a informational hearing held um, by the Committee on Children uh, where DCF was brought up there and they testified for most of the two hours. I really think, and this is something that was reiterated by the Harwinton First Selectman, that this was kind of DCF just trying to make the problem go away. You know, it's the it's the easiest solution for them. Be like, this is a problem. There was bad press about it. We got to get we got to get rid of this and just shut it down. I don't know what happens to the girls that were in the in in that home. They probably got transferred to other places. Um, they don't know what they're going to do with that property at this point. But, you know, um, the Harwinton first selectman, Michael Chris, you know, he said it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. And until you start addressing the root causes of some of these issues, you know, uh, you this will probably just, you know, happen again. And it doesn't really it doesn't really solve anything. It's, you know, I when I heard it was closing permanently, I can't say that I was like happy. I actually f- felt pretty bad about it um, because I was just like, all right, well, that's just, that doesn't really solve what was going on. Um, there's others, there's plenty of other star homes in the state. I mean, hopefully they don't have those kind of issues, but yeah, I, I can't say that it was, uh, 
<laughs> it wasn't a good feeling. I was just kind of like, well, it, what happens now, you know? And it's something I'm actually working on in a for a future investigation. I've been speaking with numerous people about Connecticut's group home system, the foster care system, and maybe there's a better way or better ways of doing things um, that could ease some of the burden on state agencies like DCF and hopefully get better results. Um, so I've been having a lot of conversations around that topic for a future uh, feature story. That's great. I mean, the, the DCF thing too, I mean, we've seen DCF pop up in a number of different places. You've talked about a lot of the red tape involved in some of, you know, the peer respite homes, for example, right? Any different method that you could do to provide services? Because as, as you properly point out, the problem isn't going away. These are real human beings who are still experiencing some really traumatic, difficult times in their lives. There just needs to be other ways to arrive at positive solutions. So I are there in your conversation so far, I don't want to preempt a future investigation, but are you optimistic about where this could be headed or do you kind of expect more of the same in the future? I mean, we can put the ideas out there, um, but when it comes to a state agency the size of DCF and not only that, but then you start talking about the whole the state as a whole state government, it's not like turning a rowboat around. It's like turning a, a you know, cruise liner around. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of effort and it doesn't happen quickly. It happens slowly. So, but if we can, you know, put some ideas out there, um, you know, bring up some, you know, you know, speak to some experts that maybe people in the state government haven't heard about, or, you know, bring up ideas that, you know, lawmakers haven't heard or discussed, you know, that can open some doors. And uh, yeah, I, I think, there's there's always a possibility to to improve things and you know if you get the right people in touch with the right people uh, maybe that can start to happen you know the you know republicans and even i think um the office of child advocate have said that you know the state need needs more oversight of dcf um and that's something that one of the you know group home foster care advocates that i spoke to agreed with but you know, the the real challenge is to get it to a place where it's as best as possible serving the needs that actually are, are need to be met. Um, and, you know, so we'll see how it goes. You know, I still have a number of conversations to, to have before I can put this whole thing together. Something to look forward to. Truly. That's great. Uh, hearing nothing else on that topic, then. Let's talk about the truck tax. This is uh, a story. Um, I, I did. I, I personally posted this in a number of trucker groups on Facebook, and uh, you know, we we work to get these stories out to the audiences that they uh, are most relevant to, and and that impacts people's lives. And it seems like there's a conscious culture of avoidance uh, here that's going on. I mean companies directing their trucks around Connecticut, people just not reporting uh, that, you know, people don't want to pay this. And as a result, projections are off. Spoiler alert, $25 million, as I said before. Um, what other details do we need to know about here? Well, I mean, they're off by roughly a third. Um, they were, I mean, at some point, they were expecting to bring in $100 million per year. We're, not, we're nowhere close to that. Uh, I, I think probably the biggest issue 
it, well, I, the biggest issue is that the only, you know, the people who the vast majority probably, and this is, you know, based on my conversation with the head of the truckers association in Connecticut is that this, the tax is primarily falling upon Connecticut trucking companies because they can't avoid the tax. You know, they, they have to do it. Um, uh, a truck just passing through. Yeah. Maybe they blow you off. Um, and avoidance has been an issue for other states. I mean, most states that have this kind of tax don't get what they thought they were going to get out of it. A lot of states have done away with the tax in the past. And before we even passed it, a lot of states have gotten rid of it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to it's tough to track all these trucks going through. They don't have an enforcement mechanism. There's no enforcement mechanism. Uh, there's no way to track. Uh, you're you're basically going on the honor system, and if you're a state, if you're an in-state company, you have to play play the honor system. You don't want to get caught, you know. So they're more likely to play play on the honor system. But you know, if you're trucking in from Indiana, <laughs> you know, like, and you're just passing through, you're not going to care. Was that accounted for? Uh, I mean, we've talked, I think, uh, also, and we'll talk in, about the EV debate in just a minute, but obviously some of those numbers were a little bit off in the projections uh, ahead of time as well. So when when we were looking at this coming into existence in the first place, was this accounted for, the idea that people would be practicing a little bit of civil disobedience and and just kind of blowing this off? No, I mean, the, the OFA made their best took their best shot at what it should collect, right? Um, the head of the Truckers Association at the time, Joe Scully, uh, he kept telling them, he's like, you are not going to get what you think you're going to get out of this tax. And hey, turns out he was right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, and this this goes into the special transportation fund, which funds all our infrastructure. And, you know, it's not like it's bringing in no money. It's bringing in, you know, $66 million a year or something like that. But it's far off of what they thought it was going to be. And to me, I think that's just part of the issue when we start doing these tax projections and things like that is, you know, you can do it, but maybe maybe listen to the people who are in the industry and what they're telling you uh, before when you're when you're making those projections be like listen you know you're gonna have a lot of people avoiding this tax maybe you don't want to bet the bet the whole farm on it without a doubt okay that's super interesting uh it, the the trucking industry generally i know is fascinating you know the move from paper logs to digital logs there's it is an industry that pushes back on these kind of efforts over the last decade at least with huge frequency. Uh, so it's, I guess, not particularly surprising, but it was a very interesting article to read all of the same. Um, I'd like to spend the balance of our time here then moving over to another transportation thing. Trisha has been, you know, so patient here. I know that you've done a lot of writing on this. Uh, the EV debate for 2023 is over. Governor Lamont pulled his recommendation but it sounds like this is coming back. If anything, the article that Mark wrote kind of said that the Democrat Party and, and Lamont is just needs to kind of go back to the war room. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, I've, I've written a lot about it, but so has Mark. So I'm sure we'll both have plenty to say on the subject. Um, this was, of course, very busy um, last week, like right before the Thanksgiving holiday. There was a lot coming out about um, the EV debate, mostly from the Republican side. Um 
I mean, it seems like the Lamont administration sees electric vehicles as being important to Connecticut's greening of various technology, right? Um, so not just you're getting solar panels on houses or, um, you know, making state buildings greener um, and changing like, like the way we generate electricity, but also like getting consumers to purchase and use electric vehicles en masse. Um, so Connecticut has a law on the books from a few years ago that we will follow California's emission standards. This is frequently um, a subject of great debate because California has been instituting very strict emission standards. Um, and this is one of the the most strict, um, I think, rules that they've had, which is both passenger vehicles, like light and medium cars and trucks, and medium and heavy vehicles. So that's like your tractor trailers um, and things like farm equipment and stuff like that. Um, they are forcing everyone to um, no longer be able to purchase a new gas-powered vehicle of any size in California in 2035. Um, so that was something that Connecticut was was adopting because of this rule that we have. And um, that caused a lot of uproar, a lot of people saying that it limited choice. Um, I think there was at least a little bit of misunderstanding, um, whether accidental or intentional on um, certain sides, uh, because there there were people saying that like it would force you to sell your five-year-old gas-powered car and buy uh, electric vehicle, which is not what it would do. Um, it would You would be allowed to drive any gas-powered vehicle currently on the road. You'd be allowed to purchase uh, used gas-powered vehicles, you just couldn't buy new gas-powered vehicles from dealers. Um, so that was one of the things that I think so was confusing. The, but... the manufacturing part of it as well, right? There's a limitations on the creation of those vehicles. And I, I guess maybe that's a question. In-state, out-of-state, like there, there were additional limitations on manufacturers as well, yeah? Yeah, I mean, there were, al there were always going to be emission standards that manufacturers had to meet for anything that wasn't an electric-powered vehicle, um, and those, I think, will still be in place. I'm not positive about that. We'll find out more when this debate comes back up, probably in the next legislative session um, next year, early next year. Um, so that's what we have to look forward to in 2024. I think the Democrats are going to try to pass a law that forces this to happen, but I don't know how much support they're going to have. Um, but essentially, the, the Republicans came out with their own ideas, own versions of ideas that would force certain other electrifications or certain other green programs, uh, you know, would require the state to properly utilize certain like green sustainable tax um, portions of people's income taxes um, toward those green programs and basically like forcing stricter emission standards, but not to the point of everybody has to purchase electric vehicles if you're going to buy a new car in 2035. Um, so there's there's a big debate about this. It's a question of uh, choice. It's a question of you know um, whether or not people can afford it. It's a question of the biggest question is whether or not um, Connecticut's grid can handle a large scale electrification of personal vehicles. Um, and if everyone switched to electric vehicles tomorrow, we would not be able to handle it. It doesn't have a, the grid capacity to handle that. If you can promote a slow transition while also forcing you know people like Eversource National Grid um to like increase their capacity then you could probably maintain it but it would have to be a very difficult negotiation um and it would be very expensive um to to switch everybody to electric vehicles i believe it would cost 2.4 billion dollars in electric electric grid updates um and then you also have to worry about whether can we can like create enough energy for that not just deliver it to people's houses so there are a lot of questions and i think the fact that there are a lot of questions um spooks people. Um, I think that it makes it a lot harder to institute something so big so quickly um, and certainly without 
debate in the House and Senate. So it being forced into uh, the legislature is going to mean we're going to hear a lot more about this next year. We might hear some kind of negotiation on the specific um, restrictions or on the specific rules. Uh, it might be thrown out entirely. We don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, we're not it's not happening as of today. Um, so we will see what what is in store for it over the next six or eight months. Um, it'll be an interesting conversation to see how people sort of negotiate those concerns and those issues. Um, yeah. And, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, it, it, I, I was at the press conference the other day and they they literally trotted out everybody. Um, you know, you had to hear from, you know, the we, we heard from the speaker and the majority leader and then the Senate president pro tem and the majority leader there and then Katie Dykes and some guy from Eversource. And, you know, we, they brought out everybody. And I think it was in an effort to shore up their base, which, you know, the environmental groups pretty much, you know, largely Democrat and tell them that we are working on this. Um, I think part of the problem is that at least in Connecticut. I don't know anything about California or how they plan to handle this. And I, I don't particularly care. I care about how Connecticut's going to handle this. Um, is that they're kind of starting at the finish line, right? Electric vehicles, there's the finish line. But <laughs> you got to start it, you kind of got to start at the beginning. And, and this is something the public realizes when you sit there and say, we're going to go all electric. And they say, well, you're already warning us about rolling blackouts in the winter. Where are we going to get the electricity for this? And that I think is a huge question, you know, yeah. where are you going to get the electricity for this? I mean, are you going to build another nuclear power plant? I mean, are you going to- Which gonna no build... one wants. Huh? Which no one wants. I think a lot of people want it. I think there's I a, that's another area where there's a lot of questions of that that need to be answered, right? Because it, I, it I think come from somewhere, the electricity. I think, if you could, I think people want a nuclear power plant that isn't nearby them. So it has to be near somebody. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah. yeah not, maybe not not everybody wants you know Homer Simpson at the at the helm. Yes. You know? <laughs> uh, but or are you going to build another natural gas pipeline to get stuff? I mean, I know the env environmentalists don't want that, you know. And I'm sorry, but like the Revolution Wind is going to be a, about 800 megawatts. Mm -hmm. But if you went full electric vehicle, I think it'd take another 8,000 megawatts. And so that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of windmills. So and you're not even just talking Connecticut, you're talking Massachusetts and Rhode Island and I think Vermont and possibly Maine. And so you're talking about a major regional thing. And another thing that came up is, you know, I you know when I was listening to uh Matt Ritter and Senator Looney, you know, Ritter was saying he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, the electric buses cost a lot more." And he represents Hartford, which is a, uh, you know, environmental justice community they have a lot of you know buses going around spewing out whatever they spew out and he goes yeah we'd love to get some electric buses here so we don't have all these noxious noxious fumes going into the air but they cost a whole lot of money we might need subsidies so you're gonna i mean everybody's gonna want a subsidy you know you got you're gonna have the the cost of upgrading the grid usually falls on ratepayers. i mean we already have some of the highest electric costs in the country. If you start jacking it up to support this, you're going to have a bunch of angry, you know, electric bill payers. So probably some people are going to be asking for subsidies there. You got to pay for the charging infrastructure. People are going to want subsidies, conversion buses, you know, things like that. They're going to want subsidies. So this is a lot of money. It's not just the grid. 
It's not just, you know, what it costs to buy. We are already, we're already giving out all these rebates for electric vehicles. If you're going to sell a lot more do those rebates stay in place, that's going to cost a lot of money. So there's, there's a lot of things to parse out. And I think they were, the Democrats were trying to sell it as we've already gotten to the finish line, electric cars and people weren't buying it because you have to kind of walk them through the steps of how we're going to do this. And it seems like that is what they're going to try to do. I don't know if they're going to be successful with that. Um, I mean, if they wanted to do it, they could do it tomorrow. They could call a special session. They have so many, they have such a massive majority that they could have their, they could have their own Democrats vote against it and still pass it. No problem. So, but I think there's a, I think there's a lot of, a lot of pieces that need to fall into place before you could actually say this is a go. And there is a time limit on this. You know, mm-hmm. the, the state needs to give manufacturers three years lead time knowing so they know what emission you know regulations are co- coming for cars they're going to send to Connecticut. So if they don't get it done in 2024, we're pretty much going to be to to have to default to the federal emission mm-hmm. standards. Yeah. Um, I mean, you make a very good point, which is I I think the main argument that um, certainly the Republicans were making when I was uh, doing that press conference last week um, was that there is no plan. Um, And I think that everybody has a lot of questions there. Like like you said, there is this end date, right? There's a 2035 electric vehicles date, but there isn't necessarily a how do we get there plan in place. And I think I think it makes sense to start with here's the date that we're going to do this by. But then you do, yeah, like you said, have to like come up with that plan for here's what needs to get done by that time. Here is the like, is there a limit to how many electric vehicles you can sell at that point and not crash the grid? Um, like just figure all that stuff out. So I imagine that we're going to see things about like creating working groups and, you know, that sort of thing in the, in the legislative session, trying to figure out what the requirements need to be, because I, I can't imagine you can put all of that into a single piece of legislation. Yeah, that would I mean, that would be a long. I don't I don't look forward to reading that piece of legislation. But like you need to bring in people from like ISO New England. You need to bring in, you know, I mean, I'm sure Eversource is chomping at the bit for this to happen because, you know, it's just going to be a lot of work for them to do. And that means a lot of money in their pockets, too. Um, so, yeah, you got to you got to kind of figure out like how you're going to do this, because the the electricity isn't going to come from nowhere. Uh, it's got to come from somewhere. And then you got to build out the grid and then you got to get the uh, chargers installed. And then you got to subsidize probably all this stuff because people are going to be upset with the cost. And then you get your electric car. Yeah. This is one of the things that I think the work that you are doing, though, Mark and Trisha, Catherine as well, uh, to cover this and understand, because I agree with the point that the the transparency isn't there. The understanding isn't there along the way. I mean, and it's not doing anybody any favors when the deep estimates on costs have to be corrected by OFA mm-hmm. by orders of magnitude, because that's just undermining the trust and credibility that has been built up. There needs to be translation. There needs to be understanding. And frankly, that's one of the reasons why Inside Investigator exists, right? Is so we can hopefully provide some of this. We want the information to be good coming out in the first yes. But when it isn't, uh, that kind of fact checking and understanding is absolutely vital uh, to the understanding of any issue. This one, one, one funny thing that kind of came up during the press conference because this guy sitting behind me started kind of yelling out in the middle of it, and it reminded me, um, you know, Connecticut in Connecticut, we don't let Tesla sell their cars here. 
You know, it's it's the it's the most popular electric vehicle out there. And we don't they're not allowed to sell them here because they don't use a dealership model. Uh, Tesla's tried to get that tried to get that overturned for years. They failed every single time um, because the um, car, uh, you know, car salesman lobby is pretty strong. Uh, and so it's, it's another thing, you know, like, you know, Tesla has to sell like at Mohegan or something like that in order, you know, to, to get their cars, or you can just go to New York and do it there. But it is kind of an interesting point is that like, all right, you know, you want all these electric cars. I mean, pretty much every Tesla you see out there, they bought that somewhere else. Yep. Without a doubt. We're running low on time. Uh, any last points? Otherwise, uh, I think we can look to wrap up. This is this is helpful. I really appreciate both of you uh, digging into this. Um, really interesting stuff. To those of you watching and listening, if you enjoy this show and the news and investigations that we produce, please consider becoming a donor. We're a nonprofit newsroom. That means that, yes, it is tax deductible, but you'll also be supporting journalism that is custom built for you, your friends, and your neighbors in Connecticut. Huge thank you to each of you for watching and listening to Inside Update. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. And until then, be well, stay safe, and stay informed.